As we begin this morning, uh, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9. And it's a really famous story of uh, quite the transformation that happened in a person's life. Quite the change. But before we get into that, I want to, um, I heard of a testimony actually a couple months ago, and it it fits with this story. And I want to share, uh, have a person share it this morning. So I'm going to invite Josh to come on up. Josh Orton uh, to come on up. Josh uh, is, has been hanging out with our middle schoolers uh, at the end of last school year, and uh, I've known Josh quite a while, and so Josh, um, I think that's on, you can uh, use that one. Grant, can you turn that one on, my microphone? Number one, it's mine. So great, uh, so no, Grant. Um, Josh, I've known for a while, and so uh, Josh, why don't you just share a little bit about um, growing up here in West Michigan, just uh, introduce yourself to these people a little bit. So hey, I'm Josh. I grew up in West Michigan until freshman year of college, where then I moved to Kansas City and went to three different high schools in Kansas City, from being homeschooled to getting a concussion really bad at a Catholic school, to then going to the crazy public school for a couple of, a couple of years. I know I very ventured out there. But then, then I went to college out in Denver, and spend some time out there, and now I'm back here for the time being. And so you, uh, he shot me a text message in June. He was gone for the month of June and uh, went, out, uh, went out west and had a wedding in, in Denver and then flew to Philadelphia, had another wedding, and then flew back to Denver and uh, then took his van that he had redone all over the west coast. And he shot me this uh, text message, and I believe June 24th. And it's up on the screen. He says this. I was like, hey, where are you? What are you up to? And he goes, I'm in Denver right now. I will be here for the next week or so. My atheist friend, Ben, is no longer an atheist. <laughs> he rode with me for a week and had some amazing conversations. And he says he believes. That's one of the reasons I'm in Denver again. We are camping this weekend so I can keep encouraging and discipling him. We are seeing the moment in the text message when Ben gave his life to Jesus. Uh, opened up his heart uh, to Jesus and believe. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey with Ben? And you met Ben in college, right? Yeah. So why don't you talk to us about um, your conversations with Ben, your friendship with Ben? Hmm, Ben. I love that guy. But let's see. The first time I met him, he came over to our house with an entire wine bottle and drank the entire thing around our fire. So that's kind of like my first impressions of this guy. I'm like, who is this guy? He's crazy. But then I got to know him, and then he decided to move in with us for our senior year of college. And the conversation started turning around of, he's like, I go to Colorado Christian University, but he's like, oh, I don't believe in that. He's like, that is a load of crap. And then we like kept talking. And then it was, our conversations when we lived together were completely shut down. Every time we brought it up, it was, no, I don't talk about that. I don't want that. That's not my thing. It's good for everybody else, but that's not my thing. I was like, well, I think you're missing out, man. But then I, but then it came to, I moved here, and I had this road trip. And so Ben doesn't, I love that guy, but he never gets out of Colorado. He, I don't think he's been within 45 minutes of his hometown most of his life. So I was like, dude, come with me on this road trip. And then he actually agreed, which is crazy. (laughs) And then 
we just started talking on the trip, and he's like, yeah, like, I think there's something out there that I'm missing. And I was like, no way! <laughs> I've been telling you this for years. And it's just slowly but surely after three years of friendship, he's like, hey man, like, I think I believe in Jesus and like, I want to keep talking about this. What was, that's amazing. Like, what was your prayer life like for Ben? Because we were talking about that this week. You know, you were praying for Ben. What were you praying uh, for him for? I think, I mean, in college, I wasn't, honestly. But then once I moved here, and especially once he agreed to go on the trip with me, I'm like, oh, man, I got this guy for a week, and he can't leave because I have to drop him off at the airport. <laughs> but it was just praying, like, God, move in a way that you can. Like, nothing I would say to him could change his heart. It's not my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict him. So, like, whatever way I can do that, that's what I want to do. Right on. And so, talk to me about it. So, you were out, I think you said the Grand Canyon, right? When he, yeah. Was, that, was it that picture? Yeah, it was that picture. So, that's, that's when everything happened. What happened inside of you when you got to see that firsthand after walking with him for a number of years? Honestly, I was like, are you sure? <laughs> like, honestly, I was like, I've seen this guy. I know the guy really well. I love him to death. But I was like, dude, you're crazy. But then I was like, man, you really want this. And I could see we were sitting on the rim, the north rim. He wanted to go to the Grand Canyon really bad. It was like six hours out of the way of my trip. I was like, let's go, dude. <laughs> so we're sitting on the north rim. And he's like, something just feels really like good in my heart. And he's like, I've never felt like this peace and this happy that I felt before. And I, then I like explained to him, I'm like, dude, this is, I think, like the Holy Spirit coming into you. And this is his way of saying, like, I want to be with you. And then we just kept having great conversations. And he believes in Jesus now. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, let's just celebrate everybody. Thanks, Josh. You know, what I love is, uh, you know, you hear these stories, and you hear, like, when it happens, you know, in an instant, or, you know, we hear from people coming back from different mission trips. But I love that, the story that of Joshua, for faithfully for three years, and just for a while, just invested, invested, sat there, listened, you know, would ask questions, would pray, you know, once he got out of college. Um, maybe should have done that a little bit earlier, then he would have had a heart change earlier. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but yeah, no, he, but just invest, investing over and over and over again. And then to be there when you see someone's heart transformed in an instant, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. And so I want to encourage all of us just to, to keep going, to keep praying for those people, to, uh, to keep investing in people, uh, doing our part, planting those seeds, but then having our eyes open to, what, uh, to seeing what only God can do, and that's transforming a heart. And in Acts 9, there's just a powerful test, a powerful story of a heart that was transformed in an instant. And it's the story of Saul, who became Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. And I just want to read it this morning and then pick out a couple things out of Acts 9. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 9, and uh, we'll make our way through this story. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus. 
So that if he found any belonging to the, to the way, men or women, he might bring them to Jerusalem. So now we're introduced to Saul again. And then the first time we heard about Saul was at the end of Acts chapter 7. As he is standing there watching Stephen be stoned to death for his faith and his belief in Jesus. And Saul is standing there. And I always picture him with his, his arm, arms crossed. And he was giving approval to Stephen dying by, by being stoned to death for his faith in Jesus. And Saul, as it says, he's breathing murderous threats. Like the, the picture here actually is, is this was the very thing that gave Saul life. This was what his life was all about. He was very passionate about killing Christians, putting them into prison. He had taken many and put them into prison. And now his plan was to travel 150 miles north to Damascus. And he had papers with him, papers from the high priest that gave him approval to do this, that he was going to go round up followers of Jesus, followers of the way, throw them into prison, both men and women, and put them in chains and bring them back to Jerusalem. This was the very purpose of Saul's life. This was everything that he was about. He like ate and slept and breathed like this, this purpose in his life. He wanted to throw followers of Jesus into prison. And so the story continues. Acts um, 9 verse 3. It says, Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. I, mean, I love that, that instant transformation. It says, suddenly there was a light from heaven that shone around. Saul was not expecting it. That was not his plan for the day. He was planning to go to Damascus to put people in prison, to bind people. But all of a sudden, at the end of the day, Saul is blinded by the light. And he himself is found to be in chains and, frankly, chains for the gospel. As his life is transformed in an instant. And I always think, like, God's plans are so much greater than our plans. Here Saul was, was thinking, okay, this is my plan for my life. This is my plan for this day. And all of a sudden, in a moment, God interrupted and changes, changed his plans. In a moment, God can interrupt and change our plans. And I wonder often, are we open to that? Are we open to God rearranging our plans? Because Saul's life was definitely rearranged. But I think this, this story shouts one clear thing to us. And it's this, that there is no one on the face of this planet, no one who has ever lived, that is too far gone, that is beyond the reach of the gospel. I mean, we're familiar with this story, and we think like, oh yeah, Saul became Paul, and, and, and frankly, like we, our familiarity with this story makes it lose some of its power. And we forget like where Paul was or where Saul was. Saul was extremely wealthy. Saul was a Jew, but was also a Roman citizen. And in order to become a Roman citizen, you actually had to pay for that citizenship. And it wasn't cheap. You didn't just go to Dollar General and pick it up off the shelf for a couple bucks. This was like thousands of dollars. This was a lot of money to become a Roman citizen. And so Paul came from a very rich family. 
And we remember the words of Jesus when he talked about the rich. He said, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so here Paul was like, the odds were stacked against him. He was also highly educated. Educated by the best teachers that day, by Gamaliel, who was a very respected teacher. And sometimes our education, our minds can get in the way of us following Jesus because of our pride and our knowledge. And we think we know how the world works. So he was wealthy, he was educated, and he was extremely religious. I mean, we learn later in Saul's life that, that he followed the law to the, to the T. Like he followed every little thing of the law. He's like, I am the, the most religious person. And so Paul probably would have been like thinking like, God must be proud of me because I'm doing everything right. And so his heart was religious, his heart was, was educated, like his heart was, was wealthy. So many obstacles stand in the way of Saul coming, becoming a Christian. But then in a moment, his life is transformed. In a moment, everything changed. In an instant, as he's going on the road to Damascus, and he goes from being a persecutor of Christians to a proclaimer of the good news of Jesus. He goes from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. And I look at this story, I look at Saul's story, and we could be like, oh yeah, that was nice you know, for Saul. But actually, Saul's story is our story. Because we, at one time, were enemies of God. Ephesians 2, Paul's words, he says, you were a child of wrath, object of wrath, deserving punishment. That's who we were apart from Jesus, but because of Jesus, he reached into our lives and saved us, not by any works that we could have done, but only by his grace. And he moves us from being an object of wrath, an enemy, to being his friend. He takes our unrighteousness, our sin, and we get Jesus' righteousness in a relationship with God. And so this story is like such an amazing picture, a beautiful picture of our salvation because God has been pursuing Saul, pursued Saul, drew Saul to himself just like he did with us. And so there is like no one, including all of us, that is beyond the reach of the gospel. The gospel can get a hold of any person's heart at any moment. But I also love one verse in here in this first little section, because I believe it paints a picture of our relationship with Jesus. And in verse five, Saul says this. So he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, let that sink in, whom you are persecuting. Now, we have no record of Saul going and persecuting Jesus. We have no record of Saul nailing Jesus to the cross. The only record that we have is that Saul persecuted followers of Jesus. He stoned followers of Jesus. He killed followers of Jesus. And this verse screams to you and I, our relationship with Jesus. That what happens to us, Jesus takes very personal. What happens to followers of Jesus, if they're persecuted, Jesus takes very personal. And this just like screams like we are so close to Jesus. We are united with Christ. When Jesus looks at us, he sees it's, it's Christ in us. That's how close we are to him. And so like so many people say, I want to get closer and closer to Jesus. Do you really realize how close you are actually to Jesus, that he identifies with you, that as you're going through hardship, that you are not alone, that he is with you? I get blown away by this statement every time when Jesus says, you're persecuting me. It's like, no, like, Paul was persecuting followers of Jesus. But Jesus takes what happens to you very personally. And the other thing is true, like, wherever you're going through, whatever you go through in life, the ups and the downs, you are never far away from Jesus, that he is with you, right by your side. 
And the story continues. And verse 10. Saul has been without drink and food for three days. Kind of like he's in the tomb himself, like Jesus experienced. Three days without food and water, he's blinded. And then all of a sudden it says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind and all who call, all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. I'm always drawn to Ananias because I, this story starts with Saul being confronted by Jesus on the road. And he's blinded and he's led into Damascus. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears to a man named Ananias. A guy who had just become a follower of Jesus because the gospel had just come to that area. But Jesus appears to a man named Ananias. And I love his response, recognizing that it was the Lord's voice. Ananias said, all right, here I am, Lord. My life is fully yours. But I'm always blown away by Ananias and by this story because Jesus appeared to Saul. And he blinded him. Couldn't Jesus appear to Saul again and open up his eyes? Couldn't Jesus appear to him and say, you're going to be my chosen instrument to carry my good news throughout the world. And you're going to suffer a lot. But that doesn't happen. Jesus chooses a man named Ananias to bring good news, to, bring, to go to Saul. To lay hands on him and to pray for him. And I never want to lose this sight, the sight of this fact that central to the kingdom of God is that God can move in an instant and transform a life, but God can, can do anything he pleases. But so often God works through people like you and me, people like Ananias. He speaks to people through ordinary people. And God gets glory for the miraculous, the moments that we see him move in power, but he also gets glory by working powerfully through ordinary men and women. And here Ananias was like, all right, here I am, Lord, send me. He could recognize Jesus' voice. He could recognize the shepherd's voice saying, go this direction and go talk to Ananias. And you see kind of the wrestling in Ananias because this was not an easy task for Ananias. This was not an easy thing because instantly he goes back to the Lord, which is a beautiful picture of the relationship that we can have with God. Because Ananias hears Jesus say, this is what you want, I want you to do. But then Ananias says, wait, 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 wait a minute. I know this Saul guy. I've heard stories. I've heard that he has taken people captive. And surely he was coming to see people like Ananias to bring them back to Jerusalem. And so Ananias is telling Jesus like, no, I, I, I don't know about this. And Jesus said, no. He's in the room praying. 
It's okay. His life is transformed. Which again is another example of the fact that Jesus is at work in so many ways that we don't see. And so Ananias hears this from the Lord. And it says he departed. And he went to Saul. He was obedient no matter the cost. He was obedient to do what Jesus asked him to do even though it seemed a little weird. Saul? Seriously? Seriously, I need to go talk to him? But Ananias was bold in his obedience and he went. And I love the interaction between Ananias and Saul because what does he say? He looks at him and he says, brother Saul. Recognize that he wasn't an enemy anymore. He was family. And I bet those words were so sweet for Saul to hear. Because here was a man who confronted Jesus, whose life was changed, and all of a sudden he must have been thinking like, okay, what are people going to think of me because my life has changed, but I have done so much carnage in people's lives. I brought so much destruction in people's lives. And here Ananias says, you know what? I'm going to look at you the same way that Jesus looks at you. Your family, you belong to us now, brother Saul. And the peace that would have fallen on Saul's life. Wow, they're not thinking of me like the way that I used to live. They're not seeing me through this lens. And I wonder how often do we know that people's lives have been changed, but we still see them as an old creation instead of a new creation. And I think the challenge for us today is like, make sure that we're seeing people through the eyes of Jesus. To come to them and say, you know what? You're a brother, you're a sister in Christ. That's how I'm gonna see you. But I want us to not lose sight of the fact that Ananias was bold in his obedience. Bold to do what Jesus asked him to do. And as you live your life, as you listen to the Lord, as you get direction, as you read scripture, are you bold in your obedience? Are you bold when you read things to say, you know what, this is what Jesus says, and so you know what, I need to do it. Are you bold when you get this little little um, you know, tug at your spirit to say, you know what, call this person or text this person, because that's what it looks like for me. I get a person's name in my mind, or I get a thought, and I'm like, you know what, it's not sin, and so you know what, I'm going to do it. Must be the Holy Spirit. Are we bold in our obedience when it comes to the Word? Are we bold in our obedience when it comes to the Holy Spirit to follow the Holy Spirit's leading, no matter what it costs, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us? Because I dare say Ananias was uncomfortable. Walking to Straight Street, you know, kind of like shuffling along. All right, Lord, are you sure? Are you sure this is what you want me to do? But he went. And I want us to be obedient in that way. I want to end with a testimony, and I'm actually going to have Mike share a testimony because Mike uh, shared at the men's group just a little stirring that God was uh, bringing up in his spirit and his gut, and I was impressed by Mike's obedience. And so I just want him to share a little bit and share the emotions that he went through and being obedient. You can use this one. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Good. Yeah, so... Um, as everybody knows, uh, a few months ago, my uh, father passed away, and uh, it was a really tough time uh, for our family. Uh, one, one of the things that made that uh, those weeks really difficult was uh, one of my uncles um, never showed up at the visitation, never showed up at the funeral, never called any of us. He was absent. And... And if you've been through that process, right, you, you, you can kind of feel that, that, that emotion of that hurts. And I saw how it hurt my mom. I saw how it hurt uh, my family members. 
And this, this anger and this offense started to grow in me. And, you know, I was, I was talking to Barry this morning. I think he's coming. Um, but I was talking to Barry this morning, and he, he looked at me and he goes, you know, I'm, I'm pretty old. But he said, I still feel like I'm growing up. And, uh, and, and, and this week I felt like I had to grow up a little bit um, because I discovered that I was dealing with a lot of offense, a lot of bitterness, a, a lot of anger towards this person. And I go around all the time and I talk to people and I say, you need to forgive people. You need to forgive people. And, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden it was like, Mike, you gotta, you gotta smoke what you're selling. Right? Can I say that here? Okay. And, uh, and um, you know, I went to, I went to Bible study um, Wednesday night and I just said to the guys, I said, I'm really feeling like the Holy Spirit is telling me that I have to go to my uncle and I have to pray with him. And I didn't want to do that. I felt like Jonah, right? I was like, I wanted to get on a boat and head to Wisconsin, right? <laughs> and um, and uh, I thought, well, I don't want to get eaten by a whale, so um, maybe better for me to call my uncle. So um, on Friday morning, I kind of pulled up my as much humility as I had, and I, I texted him, and I just said, hey, I'm going to be in Grand Rapids um, taking some meetings this morning. Would love to come and pray with you uh, if you're available. And I just said, Lord, if he responds, I'll go pray with him. If he doesn't, I didn't expect him to respond. I'm not gonna force the issue, I'll consider it done. I did my part. I did not wanna do this, all right? I cannot stress how much I uh, did not wanna do this. Let me give you a little backstory. Uh, a couple of weeks after my dad's funeral, we found out that my uncle had gone into the hospital and he had a mass on his kidney, right? And um, I'm, a, I'm a little ashamed to even say, like I was just like, it was kind of like almost like a oh, serves you right kind of an attitude. I'm just gonna be honest with you guys, right? And, um, and so, what I really felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit was telling me was, Mike, you need to go pray for your uncle. And not only that, but I'm gonna heal your uncle. And why that is difficult is because I prayed for my dad. I prayed for my sister. And they didn't get healed. But I really felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, how are you gonna feel when your uncle gets healed? And will you go and do it anyway? And I said, yeah, I'm gonna do it anyway. So anyway, long story short, I, I went there on Friday morning. He messaged me like back in like three minutes. So like, yeah, stop on by. And I was like, great. So yeah, exactly. So, um, so I went there and I, uh, we, we talked for a little while. He shared with me everything that was going on with him. Uh, my uncle is an atheist, um, doesn't think much of our faith. And um, so then I, at the end, I asked him if I could uh, pray with him. I felt like the Lord was uh, telling me to pray with him. And I had shared with him uh, a lot of the healings and things that happened in Zambia. I shared with him some of the things that I've seen 
traveling around with what I've seen that the Lord has done. And I really feel like the Lord wanted to do a work in his life as well. So he allowed me to lay hands on him at the end and pray with him. And uh, I just kept repeating the phrase, Lord, give him the peace that passes all understanding. Give him peace that passes all understanding. And when I opened my eyes um, and I was done praying, um, his eyes were real glassy. He was starting to cry. And he says, Mike, I'm going to tell you something and you're not going to believe this. I said, I'm probably going to believe it. <laughs> um, but he, he looked up at me and he says, I haven't, I haven't sang a hymn, thought of a hymn, or been to church or anything in decades. And he said, this morning I woke up with the song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. And he said, but the phrase that I kept repeating all day, I got the peace that passes understanding down in my heart. And he said, and as you prayed that over and over today, he says, I really felt like God was communicating to me. He's like, I really believe that you're, you've got a connection. And I said, well, I said, Alex, I said, uh, I believe you woke up with that because I believe the Holy Spirit's been singing over you all night because he knew that you were going to have this encounter. So I, I wish I could say, and I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to be standing up here in, in the next weeks that, that I'm going to say he gave his life to Christ. But I, I will tell you, he got rocked that morning. He got rocked. We had a big hug. Um, and uh, I just told him I love him and would love to see him again. But he, he definitely... He messaged me afterwards and thanked me again for coming. But again, like I talk to people all the time who walk around with offense and with all this stuff blocking us from stepping out. Um, I came across a, a quote a couple of weeks ago, and I'll hopefully I get it right. But it says, how valuable is a soul that Jesus and the devil are both after it? And, uh, you know... Our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, right? Our, we, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation and we got to get ourselves out of the way because those people that you're angry at, they matter to Jesus. So that's it. Thanks, Mike. I, I, I wanted him to share that and just kind of wrap it up uh, this morning. With, with just a couple questions, is what do you believe that God can do? What do you believe that Almighty God can do? Because I do believe it starts with faith. Having, having that faith to say, God, you can transform the souls in, in this world. You can transform Alex's heart. You can, you can heal him. And I'm going to persevere. And I'm going to push through. And I'm going to do what you ask me to do because I believe. And, and do we believe that? Do we believe that God can move in miraculous ways? You know, I think it, like of Scripture, it just challenges our faith like God can transform the hardest heart God can raise the dead to life God can turn a, a, a cross into a, an empty grave God can do anything and do we believe it living it here in 2021 do we believe that God can still move miraculously and then if so what are we going to do about it when God tugs at our heart are we going to be obedient are we going to be obedient like Josh for three years or more just going after Ben? 
Are we going to be obedient like Mike? Like even in the twisting and the turn, like you're like, hey, God, I don't know if I want to do this. Are we going to be obedient? And so I want us to stand right now, and I'm just going to, in some silence, I just want you to pray and ask the Lord, like, where do you need to be obedient? What is he asking you to do? Because, again, God can work in just powerful ways and just he can appear to people, and he does. But most often he works through his kids, through his body. And are you a willing vessel for God to work through? And does it start with just a faith that you believe that God can do anything? So I want you to pray. Just ask the Lord, what do you want? What do you want me to do?